Just, uh, we say again, great are you, Lord. Would you say that out loud, church? Great are you, Lord. Yeah, God, we are just honored and blown away on this first day of the week to give you our first, to praise you, to say you're what it's all about. And so, Lord, bless your church as we bless your name. We're blown away by you. We give you our very best praise. We say hallelujah, praise God. Be honored in our gathering, be honored in the word that we're about to preach. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Could you give the Lord one more hand clap? Amen. Amen. Yeah, you can say hello to somebody as you take your seat. Looking good. Campuses, I want to look right at the camera and say hello and good morning. And I want to welcome you. If you are new with us here at New Spring Church, uh, I actually know there's several folks that are here. I got to say hello the very first time. Uh, Church family, can we put our hands together and welcome those that might be leaning in today that are here for the first time? We're grateful for you. Welcome. And today is, a, is an awesome day. You've probably already felt the energy in atriums and on stages. I know in this room, we've got a lot of energy over here. Uh, today, we, we call this Gauntlet Sunday. And uh, so Gauntlet, for those that don't know, is our student camp. And every single year, we've done this for years, we take our students away from all campuses. And, and last year, we were able to get almost 2,000 students off the camp. And it's incredible. And I just want to say for us to... Consider this, uh, we finished the year up 39% in our student ministry total attendance. And, and uh, listen, the reason that's a big deal, and it is, we can celebrate that for a moment. The reason that's a big deal is there's a lot of bad news happening in the next generation. There's a lot of naysayers about the next generation. We are a part of a church that has an outpouring happening in the next generation. And so I just want to say thank you for those of you that tithe, for those of you that serve, for those of you that give, for those of you that prioritize things like our summer camp. It matters greatly. And I believe that last year's growth specifically is tied to what God did last summer at Gauntlet. And I just want to say, we're going to do it again this year. We're going to see God do more. We're going to focus in on Him. So let me tell you again, you've probably already heard this, but if you would consider giving, praying, serving, or going, uh, just on the record, I'm going to do all four. All right? Uh, I want you to, to text the phrase, Gauntlet Fam. Uh, that's short for family, okay? Gauntlet Fam, family is what that's short for. Uh, to 30303, that's the New Spring number, and we'll give you some updates about how you can pray. We did something last year we've never done. We had people, a part of our church, praying for every single hour, yes, even through the night, of every single day we were at Gauntlet, and we'd love to do that again. So you can just text that Gauntlet fam to 30303 and hear more about that, and, uh, and man, we're pumped about that. Now, if I could invite you to open up your Bibles, because now we're going to open up the Word, we're going to read the Word, we're going to invite the Word to read us. Acts chapter 2 is where we are, and we're in a series, the fourth week of a series called One Another. And as you can see on the screen behind me, we've been talking about the 59 one another's that are found in the New Testament. And we've tied these one another's to the great commandment of Jesus who told us and told his disciples 2,000 years ago when asked what is the greatest, what is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he does something incredible. He said, in the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so one of the statements we've been kind of gathering around as the people of God, we love an invisible God by loving, very practically, a visible neighbor. And so these one another's that are found in the New Testament, forgive one another, serve one another, love one another, outdo one another in showing honor, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Did anybody do that this morning? Husbands, wives? I'm going to give you permission. Husbands and wives only, okay? All right? Greet one another with a holy kiss. 
Uh, but we have all these one another's because there's something to be distinct about the people of God. The love God gives us, we love one another. And as a matter of fact, that's what you're feeling if you're here and you're not really new or around the church often, or maybe you've been invited by friends or family. That's what you're sensing that is so peculiar and different, is that in a world that is self-centered and focused on self, in the world that is all about being skeptical and cynical and jaded, the people of God are full of joy. They're full of hope. They're full of expectation. It doesn't mean we're wearing Pollyanna rose-colored glasses. It just means we've got the good news of the gospel in our heart. Come on, let me get an amen, somebody. And so what we've got is this opportunity in 2024 that our plan is to help us, church, really prioritize this so that when all the chaos happens uh, around the political world or around the things that are gonna happen in culture, that we, the people of God, we really are distinct. And in a world that is dark, we are, like Jesus said, a city on a hill, a light that cannot be hidden. That people would show up here and you would sense and feel something so different and you would see the way we treat each other is so unique because we have a, a new spirit in us that's washed us from the inside out. And so today, in order to set this up, what I would love to do is I wanna ask a question on all of our campuses and see how many of you know who this gentleman is, this gentleman right here. Anybody know who that is? Anderson Campus, you'll have to answer out loud. Anybody know? Okay, a lot more people in the room knew who he was than I thought. It's on the wall right there behind him. That is the gentleman who started this company called Amazon. His name is Jeff Bezos. And uh, uh, just for fun, if you want to look, look at Jeff Bezos before he was the richest man in the world, you can follow his pictures. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, he was a computer programmer and an electrical engineer from Princeton University. That's where he got his start. Uh, but back in the 1900s, it's been a theme here lately, uh, back in 1994, does anybody remember this company called Amazon and how it started? How did they start? Anybody remember what they started by doing? Yeah, it were books. They sold books. Now, let me tell you how it happened. Jeff has told this story. It's pretty a pretty remarkable deal. But basically, he was working in finance on Wall Street. He decided that he couldn't do the computer program or electrical engineer thing. He decides he's going to go work on Wall Street, and he's studying all these patterns in the economy. And in 1990s, he saw the Internet and how it was exploding. Y'all remember dial-up? Dial-up people, remember? Remember that sound? Jabong, jabong, all the things. Okay, no, no, y'all know. You'll have to look it up later. Maybe they've got it on Spotify or something. You can hear the sound of dial-up. Well, Jeff Bezos was studying how the internet was growing, and it was growing something. This isn't the exact number, okay, but it's something like this. It was growing like 2,800% per month. And so what he knew was if he could find anything that he could lace into the growth of the internet, that it would be profitable in the long run. And he thought about what are the things that people always need, but they... They have to get them in location, and he studied what bookstores did, and they never had a whole inventory. Uh, you had to go to a brick-and-mortar store, and he decided, I'm going to sell books on the Internet, and it exploded, 2,800%. And now, they don't just sell books, do they? Uh, as a matter of fact, while you've been here at church, you're going to get home today and have three Amazon packages on your door, <laughs> right? And back a couple of years ago, he became the wealthiest man in the world. His, his staff, he talks about it, it started with like 10 people and they're like packing books and now they have like half a million people across the planet and he doesn't just have like one company, he's got several companies. Right now he's working on putting people into outer space. It's just unbelievable bonkers, it's crazy. But one of the things that they say at Amazon, listen to me, this is my point, at Amazon they talk about having a day one spirit. Can you say that with me? 
day one spirit. One of the things they want to have forever is they want to they want to have a day one spirit about the way they do business, the way they do service, the way that they try to help people. They want to have a day one spirit. As a matter of fact, his office is called the day one building. And he talks about never wanting to get into a place where you experience day two. They always want it to be day one. When he does his meetings, I guess their people are called, they call it an all, all hands meeting. When they do an all hands meeting, they talk about being day one all the time, never day two. And he got asked one time, well, what does day two look like? How do you know if you're in day two in terms of Amazon? And I think this is unbelievable because it's a great descriptor of what day two feels like. Here's what he said day two is. Day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciating painful decline followed by death. And that's why it's always day one at Amazon. We don't want day two. But I was reading this and listening to this and I was going, that is incredible insight of why we always have to fight for day one, not just at Amazon in a business context, you business owners, you, you people that have started small businesses or leading business or, or leading anything, you understand the importance of having that, that kind of a mindset. But this is important to not allow day two to occur, especially in the church, because day two is stasis and irrelevance, followed by excruciating and painful decline, followed by death. And that's why we too at the church have to focus on day one. So my question for us today to give us a lens by which to read the scripture is what did day one look like? What did the church look like on day one? And as we read this, do we still have that same kind of day one spirit? I think there's gonna be some encouragement today as we read because you're gonna see some things that you go, aha, we've got that. We've got that in my home or we've got that in my, my group of friends or we've got that in our campus. But I think maybe also you might get encouraged to go, okay, okay, we don't have that. that that's not present. We need to focus in on that. And so in order to do that, I want to get us to day one in the church. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to read right at the end of the chapter. And if you've been around church for any length of time, this is a really famous part of the, the New Testament. You see, in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of Acts 2, it's called the day of Pentecost. And this is the day that all the disciples are gathered together where? Where are they gathered together? The upper room, yeah. The same room that Jesus served the Lord's Supper. The same room that he washed the disciples' feet like Dan talked about a couple of weeks ago. That same room, but now it's on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's on the other side of, of 40 days of Jesus showing himself to eyewitnesses, and now it's on the other side of an ascension into heaven where Christ says, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come again the same way you saw me leave. I'm coming back. They go to the upper room because Jesus had told them, don't leave until I send the helper. The helper is the Holy Spirit. So they get together, they pray for 10 days, much like what we've been doing as a church. We've been praying, consecrating ourselves, setting aside 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. on all of our campuses to pray for the last 21 days. And then the Bible records that the Holy Spirit falls, fills up that room, and the specific thing I want to say is that Spirit comes that there might be a witness, that there might be a boldness to share the good news those first day one Christians spill out onto the streets of Jerusalem and people hear them speaking in new languages, languages from their hometowns all over the Mediterranean. And then they come together and Peter preaches a sermon, super famous sermon, where he really tells them the truth and confronts their sin 
people repent, the Bible actually says that they were cut to the heart and they asked Peter, what are we to do? He says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and that times of refreshing will come. And you know what happens? They do it. And if you've been to Israel, I've gotten the privilege to go, you can see the actual places right there on the steps of the Temple Mount where 3,000 of them were baptized and professed Jesus is Lord on day one. Now, we're picking up the story right behind that. So literally after they've seen that miracle, now we're in Acts 2, verse 42. Let's read and see what the word tells us. It says, and they devoted themselves. Say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed, say all, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all that had any need, any needs that were there. Verse 46, and day by day, attending the temple, so that would be the big gathering together, and breaking bread in their homes, that would be the small gathering, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, what I'm going to suggest to you today is this is a beautiful example for us to look back on and say this is a description of day one. But it's also, listen to me, a prescription of what I believe is supposed to be a part of the local church every day. But one of the things I think we've got to recognize is that this is not necessarily the way we approach church. We don't have this day one spirit. We can slide into other things. We can get distracted by other things. I was uh, looking at something just the other day, right at the turn of the new year, and it reminded me of this thing that I have in me. And, and uh, it's actually a cartoon. It was from the New Yorker mag, and they were, they were trying to have a good laugh as people were doing their New Year's resolution. So here's the actual image. I don't want you to read this, okay? Up top it says, this is the seven-second workout. You lift 500 pounds, I'm sorry, 1,000 pounds over your head. You turn on the, uh, the, the, the incline down there is on a 50, and you go ahead and you run on that treadmill 20 miles per hour, and you only got to do it for seven seconds. And if you do that, you got all your calories burned. You can eat whatever you want to eat. You can do whatever you want to do. You can save a lot of time, but leave it up here for just a minute. I think this is, this, is, this is hilarious, right? This is sarcasm, but I also think this is the way that marketers take advantage of us. Maybe it's not called the seven-second workout. It's called the five-minute workout. Y'all remember that thing back in the day? I think it used to come on that you just put like electrodes on your abs and just sit there and watch TV. And, say, and it's like you could eat potato chips, but your abs are working out while you watch TV. Y'all know what I'm talking about? All right, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy things that we spend our money on, don't we? Don't nudge somebody if they spent their money on one of these things, right? But it's this lie, and the lie is, it's a lie of intensity or urgency. That's what it's the lie of, that if we will just, like, with my children, one of the things that they have to do every night before they go to bed, parents, what do they have to do every night before they go to bed? They've got to, well, well, you know what they don't do? They don't brush their teeth for extra time one night for all the nights, because you know their breath be stinking. And their teeth will turn orange and fall out. That's what I tell them. It scares them. 
fear-mongering. I'd show them pictures on, I'm going too far. But here's the deal. You don't brush your teeth once a week for the whole week. You brush them every day. You don't take one good shower for the whole week. You take a shower every day. I don't know who that was for. Every day. All right? But here's the lie that we've got to recognize. There is this, this idea that if we're just intense with something over and against consistency, that we don't have to worry about it. But I want to suggest to you, write this down, that consistency will outpace intensity. When it comes to the things of God, listen to me, consistency will outpace intensity. I thought about coming up here and reading the tortoise and the hare to everybody. But you know who wins that race every time, don't you? The tortoise wins it every time. But in our Christian journey, we've got to embrace the fact that this is the last Sunday of January. Next weekend's February, y'all. We're 11 months from 2025. We started this month with resolutions, and there's this beautiful bell curve. I don't know if you're a resolution person. I didn't actually do a resolution. I just try to live every single day to the best that I know how. I've kind of given up on the resolution thing. But if you want to know, the bell curve says that people quit resolutions on January the 12th. That's the day. January the 12th. I don't know who these scientists are that sit around and think about these things, but they're out there. You know, maybe they're just leaning into the chat GPT, but on January the 12th. So, sir, if you're still holding on to your resolution, good job. You've made it past the curve. Ma'am, you're holding on to your resolution. Good job. You've made it past the curve. But here's what I want us to catch. We cannot buy the lie that it's somehow, if I'm just really intense about my Bible reading, I can have a three-hour devotional and I can have my devotional covered for the rest of the week. If I get into church and I'm in, I go for it. Like my hands are up, I'm on the front row, I'm giving God my all and you should do all of those things. But there is no way that if you're just intense on a Sunday that you're gonna actually, if you don't consider every single day that relationship with God, that you're gonna be healthy in the end. That's why our vision statement is that we wanna see everyone everywhere in an everyday relationship. You know where that came from, some of you do. We changed that after 2020 because we saw so many folks that had an every Sunday relationship with God get completely steamrolled by the culture in 2020. And one of the things we take very seriously here as shepherds is we want you to understand that if you have an everyday relationship, if you understand how to pray, read your Bible, and you can, you can invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you understand what confession and prayer and repentance, you understand how to lead your family. And listen, you don't have to have a theology degree to do this. This is, this is what we see all over the New Testament, but they were consistent over intensity. You don't have to be the David Goggins of Christianity. Stay hard! Some of y'all don't even know who that is. You might not even need to go listen to him. But you know what's crazy about the intensity of guys like David Goggins? is he's not just intense, he's consistent. And consistency over intensity every time. So what were the ways they were consistent? I wanna show you the four of them. They were right there in the text. Let's look again at Acts chapter two. It says that, and they devoted themselves, the first thing they were consistent about was the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now where is this today, 2,000 years later? Where is the apostles' teaching? Well, you might be holding a copy of it right in your hands because the apostles were teaching. This is John and Peter, and this will be Luke and Paul. This will be James and Jude. This is the New Testament. That was the apostles, and this was their teaching. They devoted themselves to it. 
So they devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the teaching and preaching in the temple courts on a Sunday, a Sabbath day, and they devoted themselves to it in house to house every day. They devoted themselves to it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me just ask a question. I want every one of you to be thinking green light or red light on this for yourself. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? You're here today on all of our campuses, and that's amazing because you are right now devoted to the teaching of God. But what would it look like for you to be devoted into the next 11 months of the year to the apostles' teaching? Are you breaking the word open in front of your eyes? Are you getting around others that are doing the same? Do you lean into the podcast or do you lean into the YouTube channels where people are teaching? And listen, there's some good ones out there, but there's also some bad ones. So you need to be aware of that, but this is a big, big deal. It's been a big deal for the church for 2,000 years. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The next thing they were devoted to They were devoted to the fellowship. Now, come on, somebody. We know how to fellowship, especially if you've been around Southern Church for a while. How many of y'all grew up with a church that had a fellowship hall? Okay, me too. We had a fellowship hall. We had meals in the fellowship hall. Well, you know, we had, uh, I might have done some inappropriate things in the fellowship hall growing up, you know. But listen, the fellowship, what is the fellowship? I just want to give you permission that one of the strengths that we have as believers that we need to do consistently is we need to play together. We need to laugh together. We need to visit together. We got to do that. I mean, maybe you felt the spirit of joy at New Spring this morning, but if you don't have the fellowship of other believers in your life, you need it. Let me give you a way to, to really evaluate this. You need friends that are friends of God. Do you have those? You got to have friends that are friends of God. They're going to be with you when you're celebrating, but they're also going to be with you when you're navigating very difficult things in your life. That's what fellowship is. Do you have people that you and your kids or you and your roommates or you and your empty nest wife that you guys are getting together with? I want to encourage you. I want to implore you that the context for all of these one another's that we've been talking about, it happens in the spaces and places of fellowship. You know, I was asked um, really practically because I think it's a great question. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I don't have that. I want that. How do I find that? And let me go ahead and let you know something. More than likely, you're not gonna be able to find it on a Swipe Right app. But I can look back at my life and tell you that I felt over fellowship serving alongside others at New Spring Church. The men and women that my wife and I are very best friends with today, we found, not because we were aiming at community, but because we were aiming at serving in the house, and all of a sudden, seriously, I met my best friends serving in the student ministry of New Spring Church 15 plus years ago, serving the next generation. These are the people that were with me on my wedding day. These are the people that I was with on their wedding day. These are the people that have been with me in celebrating the birth announcements or the miscarriage announcement. These are the people that are walking with one another through the difficulties of life. These are the people, and you can have those people too. You know, next week on all of our campuses, we're opening up our semester, spring semester signups for classes and groups. But we have Connect class available. But I I just want to say, some of us, our next step really needs to be, I need to step in, not just on this Sunday context. I need to get involved in serving or get involved in a a Bible study. We've got young adult Bible studies. We've got got things for theology. We've got Financial Peace University. We've got things that are on offer. And I'm telling you, this is where you're going to find your fellowship. But you've got to take the next step. Fellowship is such a big deal. It's the second thing that they had there. i got to keep moving. I could preach a whole message on that. But the third thing that we see is that they not only had apostles teaching fellowship, but they had the breaking of bread. Who likes to eat? Come on, New Spring Church, where you at? Who likes to eat? Oh, praise God. My wife made homemade bread last night. 
It was awesome. She did. She's got this, she's got this like, uh, what was it? It was honey wheat. What was it? Is that what it was called? Yeah, honey wheat. Okay, I know some of y'all are sourdough people. We did, we did honey wheat at our house last night. It was amazing. But uh, I just want to give you permission to break some bread with somebody. Now, what is the context of this in the early church? Two things. One, it was just sharing meals. There's all kinds of history around inviting people into your homes and sharing some, some great food. And thank God for Acts chapter 10, we can eat barbecue together now, y'all. That's, that's deep cuts, y'all. Bacon. You know, for the last several years, I, I've been involved in a group that meets on Sunday night, and we started again back there in student ministry years ago doing this thing called Brenner. Anybody like breakfast for dinner? Me too. And we started doing pancakes and bacon every Sunday night after church. And now we, we've got this picture of all of us that now we've got a bunch of kids and we just started as a bunch of single people. We had that awkward stage where everybody was kind of dating each other and you had to go through the breakup. It was really awkward, but everybody made it through. Now we're all on the other side of that. We've got kids and now they're crazy. It's wild. But we still to this day, we meet on Sunday nights and we break bread together. I want to commend that to you. You've got to have some people to break bread with, but that's not all breaking of bread. This is specifically also around the idea of communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist. Remembering the body and blood of Christ here in just a few minutes on all of our campuses, you will have the opportunity, Christ follower, to come and receive a reminder that Christ's body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for you. And you can take that in and you can go and do the same, be broken and poured out for the, the world so that they might see Christ in you. That's what the church was doing. The fourth and final thing that we see is that they committed themselves to prayers. So they Apostles teaching fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Now, I want to just say out loud that the context here, although the word one another, the title of our series, isn't used anywhere in this passage. The context here is that all four of these things were being done together with one another. Now, I don't know if you've thought about that, not just leaning into the teaching by yourself, or you can't do fellowship by yourself. That kind of is against the, you, you could break bread by yourself, but the point is they were doing it, and then they were committed to the prayers together, like we've seen in all of our campuses for the last 21 days. And some of you, some of you are seeing some incredible growth in your life. You're feeling renewal happen in your homes. We've heard some incredible testimonies of this, but I just want to point out the reason is they were doing these things consistently. And I just want to commend that these are the ways that we can we can lean in today, but you've got to understand what my granddaddy used to say, the old adage, or as they say in French, adage, or as they say in Italian, adage. Okay, I'm just kidding. I don't know if that's what they say. The old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't, you can't make a drink. And so the truth is, we've done everything systematically and pastorally to create context for you to be led to the waters but you've got to make a decision to come and drink. You've got to be committed to getting here on a Sunday or getting in the Bible study around the Word of God, to be committed to saying no to some other things so you can fellowship, to be committed to, so listen, you're going to have to tell some bad things no so you can tell some good things yes. Some of us, we're not going to tell bad things no. We're going to actually tell good things no so we can say God things get the yes. And there's got to be an ordering of loves that these are the things that we're doing consistently so that we might see this incredible growth in our lives. And I just want to say, I have experienced this. I could give you testimony and we could pass the mic around on all of our campuses and give testimony. But 2024 is coming and there's some unknowns in our future. But I am believing and I am money back guarantee. If you'll commit to those four things this year, I'm believing you're going to see God do incredible fruit in your life. And I wanted to share a story and compel you at the end of this gathering, to think about what your next step, because everybody on every campus, say everybody. everybody. 
has a next step today. Every one of us to step into these kinds of things or to create the culture and environment for others to step into them. And so I wanted to tell you about someone I met on my day one at New Spring Church. Back in the fall of 2006, 2007, I came on staff that year at this church. I was serving in the student ministry and said yes to a call into full-time ministry. And back in the day, we, were only, we only had one campus. We didn't have all the campuses across the state. And everybody officed in the same little room. Some of you at the Anderson campus will remember this room. We called it Cubeville. It's right upstairs, and like we were slammed into cubicles, like, like on office space. Everybody was slammed into these cubicles. But I was pumped about it because I didn't ever have a cubicle or an office in my life. They gave me a laptop. I was like, man, this is a grown-up job. This is serious around here. But my cubicle was back-to-back with this other guy's cubicle named Jamie Salmon. And Jamie was one of these guys that was the nicest person. Like, he was so nice when you met him and hung around him, you were like, there's no way this guy's really this nice. He was unbelievably nice. And, uh, and Jamie, I found out later, years before, wasn't nice. He was actually an angry atheist. That's the way he described himself, an angry atheist, working at Best Buy in the Geek Squad. And his coworker kept inviting him to church, knew that the angry atheist needed the hope of Jesus. And finally, he comes to church one night, and he ends up not even being able to sit in the room. He goes out to his truck. He actually While the lyrics were playing in the worship, he goes out to his truck and he prays to receive Christ. The lyrics of the music convicted him of his sin and gave him the hope. It was the worship leaders that had shared the good news of Jesus that gave him the the knowledge. He goes out to his truck crying. He says he gets into his truck one way, he leaves his truck another way, saved, a new creation. Ends up coming on staff at the church and then two years later, I end up being his cubicle buddy sitting right beside him. Now, the crazy thing about Jamie is he navigates as a single guy several years around New Spring, but then he ends up going and being a church planter with one of his buddies named Russ. They go and plant a church in Bakersfield, California, across the globe, across the globe, across the country. Might as well be across the globe, right? They plant this church. He does that for several years, but he keeps those things in his life. He comes back to the state of South Carolina. He meets his wife, Elizabeth. Some of you at the campuses are going to know them because they've been a part of both Greenwood and now are a part of our Florence campus. And then they, they get married. They end up having a beautiful testimony around trying to have kids. But then fast forward to this past fall, Jamie, it was a Sunday like today. I'm sitting down here, and uh, he sends me this text. He first had sent me the text about his son, Joshua, receiving Christ in August of this year, but then he sends me a text about the first time he ever got to baptize anybody. He got to baptize his son at the Florence campus. I've got a picture of it right there. Yeah, that's Jamie. And that's his son, Joshua. And the crazy thing is, this is 20 years later, 20-something years, two decades, and the angry atheist from Best Buy gets invited to church, gets made brand new by the grace of God, ends up being a church planter, ends up meeting his wife at church, ends up growing a family at church, and now he's raising his kids in the house of God, and his life looks completely different. And I just want to say that's what the gospel does. But that's what consistency over time creates when you've got the teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. You're going to see beautiful things grow, and you might not be able to tell a difference one day at a time, but if you hold on to that day one spirit, you're gonna see over decades, not days, God do amazing and beautiful things in your life. 
And I just want to say that you've got that on offer for you today, but you're going to have to take a next step into a community, into being a part of a class or a group at your campus. Not just settling for a Sunday morning and a one-day-a-week relationship, but stepping into the friendship of God, serving alongside other believers, and look for 20-year testimonies, because in 20 years from today, we're all going to be somewhere, and we're going to be telling a story, and there's going to be a story told with our lives. And I want yours to be like Jamie's. Maybe raising kids or raising grandkids in the ways of God. And so here's the question to conclude. What's your next step? Maybe as we went through that list of apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer, you've got some of them, but you need, to, you need to step into more. You need to get all of those on green, none of them on red. Because again, you can't go through the rest of the year just thinking that you can live intensely in a moment and it's gonna cover all the other days. We've got to be a people that live in consistency. And those consistent things, they have built the church that you and I get to see and experience 2,000 years later. And it's the way it's going to continue to move forward. Can I invite you to your feet on all of our campuses? Now, this is the part, guys. This is the moment where you and I have an opportunity to step into action. And so I'm going to invite our ministry teams to come. And we've got ministry teams all around the room some of them will be at the cross. If you need to step in like Jamie did to a relationship with Jesus, you can make your way to the cross in just a moment. Others of you, you need to come and you need to take part in the breaking of bread. Be reminded of the good news of the gospel, again, by another person at your campus reminding you that Christ died for you, that you are made new, and that you're carrying his beautiful gospel in your life as you leave the building today. Some here today may need to come and receive prayer. You know, come and let someone pray for you. Pray for your home, your job, your family, your school. What's, what's God stirring you for? And praying that you would take a next step perhaps. Come and receive prayer today. Some today you need to worship through your singing or through the giving of, of your tithes and offerings. Let's respond today and not miss the opportunity before us as we leave January and we step into the next part of 2025. Let's take God up on his offer to put these things in, in our lives consistently for the rest of the year. I'm gonna pray for us. A shepherd at your campus will be out to lead us through this next time. Father God, we thank you for the great testimony of Jamie and Elizabeth, for Joshua's beautiful story of growing up in a home where mom and dad are pointing him to the ways of Christ, growing up in a church where those things are consistent. It's different than it was 20 years ago. Lord, we thank you for that great reminder of day one, that day one spirit that we see fill up the people of God. It, there's a generosity that flows. There's signs and wonders that flow. There's miracles and all kinds of incredible things that flow. But those things are lagging indicators. They're byproducts of the people of God devoting themselves to those simple, everyday practices. Teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And so, Lord, it's clear. Would you show us, every one of us, every husband, wife, college student, empty nester, single person in the room, what our next step needs to be, and give us the, the shepherding opportunities here on all of our campuses to help get your people into spaces and places where 2024 is just an unbelievable year of growth for all of us, that we look back on and go, that was the year everything shifted for me in my life. We love you. We're honored, God. It's in Christ's name that we pray all of this, and we say together, amen.